This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and hello, product masters. Today, we are talking about making better product decisions that create customer value using the data that you may already have or the data you can get your hands on. To get the detailed written summary of everything we talk about, along with that one-page action guide to help you put everything we talk about into action right now, just go to productmasterynow.com slash 341. Now, a PR person contacted me about a company that received the 2021 Products That Count Award in the Operate category. Now, that award recognizes products that help us, help product managers, and the companies are pushing you know, kind of better ways for us to do things. And the company is Indicative. Jeremy, did I say that right? Indicative? That's right. Okay, great. That's Jeremy, the CEO. We'll introduce him in just a moment here. But what they do is they help product managers leverage insights based on data that might be in your data warehouse and build better roadmaps, optimize user engagement, and reduce churn. And I was really interested in talking more about kind of the the synergies of these capabilities, because it really does bring together a lot of aspects that we work with, that customer journey, data science, data-driven decision-making, and reduced time to market. So our guest, as you heard just a moment ago, is Jeremy Levy. He's the CEO of Indicative. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chad. It's great to be here. Really interested to talk with you, you know, not, not trying to do an ad for your company, but really offer value to uh, the product masters listening. But because you bring together so many different elements of what we're trying to accomplish, I thought we should have this chat for sure. What were you seeing in the world of product management that kind of drew you towards this work with Indicative? I want to understand better the problem that you're trying to solve. So, you know, I can answer that by way of sharing a little bit of my background. I'm a serial entrepreneur, and Indicative is the third company I founded. And our mission at Indicative is to help businesses build better products through data. But the, the way we got here was a bit of a circuitous route. The first company that I started was a mobile dating company focused on providing location-based dating for iPhone and Android. And then subsequently after that, the second company that my co-founder and I founded was the first mobile-based CRM for, for the enterprise. And the lessons that we learned from there and the struggles that we had were really around how do we take the data that we're collecting on our customers across customer journeys, the touch points that we're having from our customer, the data that customers are giving us directly, and how do we leverage that data in a cohesive way for our product teams? And the struggles that we had were that in order for us to be able to take that data and use it to make informed product decisions was incredibly hard. Now, hmm. the, the, the timeline I'm talking about here are, you know, the early 2000s to late 2000s. And this is before the term data science had even existed. And so, you know, in short, the way we did that was we had to take our engineers and have them write code in order for us to do analysis on what our customers are doing. And we said to ourselves, there has to be a better way to do this. This is clearly not the way of the future when it comes to leveraging data. And so effectively, that was the inspiration for Indicative. And Indicative effectively is the only product analytics platform um, built specifically for modern data infrastructure. And our target users are effectively product teams to allow them to easily synthesize that information and use it at their fingertips without the need for data resources, uh, meaning like data analysts or data scientists, to be able to take that information and ask the thousands of questions that they'd like to be able to do to provide empirical evidence about, as you said, their product, their roadmap, or even the day-to-day decisions that they're making around the business. 
I think there's a lot of credibility in that story, and I appreciate you sharing it, right? It's not like you just jumped on the, the data science bandwagon, because then, what, maybe last two, three years, we've just started seeing data science in a few places show up with product teams, right? Data scientists being part of product teams. And I think that trend will grow. But but you were struggling with this problem much earlier, that we have all this data, we're losing track of it. Not everyone probably across the, the organization has access to the same data, and we're not making effective use of it. So bottom line here is, how can we better leverage the data about our customers to make better products? Is that good? That's exactly right. And I think, you know, when I think about sort of how product teams operate today, we all want to use data. People look at data as the truth, as the proof in the decisions that we're making. But the reality is that a lot of product is based on whether it be user research, user interviews, aligning where you're going to a vision, or ultimately, to some extent, instinct or gut. Not a lot of product decisions are always based on this notion of leveraging data, really because it's so challenging. And that's what we try to solve. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. The gut has a role in there for sure, but we, we, if we have data, we should make use of it. And when I looked at uh, the website, just to try to get a better handle on, on that, you know, what you guys do do, data warehouse was prominent in that. And I want to understand how you're connecting that notion of a data warehouse. And my knowledge of a data warehouse is pretty data, right? Pretty data for the data warehouses <laughs> that we used to put data in these big cubes, big databases, and maybe pull reports out of it faster than we might otherwise. T- tell us how you're, you're talking about data warehouses. Let's talk a little about what is the function of a data warehouse. So a data warehouse is a central repository, a single source of truth for a company's business data. Now, this is separate and distinct from what I would call a traditional transactional database or the database that runs your application or runs your website. The purpose of a data warehouse is to have that data in one place and make it easy for the rest of the company to interface with that data in a meaningful way. Data warehouses have evolved dramatically over the last 15 to 20 years. When you sort of reference cubes and and all those sort of notions, data warehouses today, uh, or rather data warehouses that you're describing, were previously only really available to companies that could spend um, massive amounts of dollars, both on software, on hardware, on uh, resources to build and maintain those data resources. The data warehouse ecosystem has shifted very much in the same way infrastructure as a service has evolved. So to give you context, I mentioned the first startup that I worked at, you know, years and years and years ago, when we wanted to launch our product, we had to go and buy physical hardware. Like I actually bought servers off of eBay, had them delivered to our office, and then rented a U-Haul and brought them to a data center and made crossover cables and connected them in a cabinet. And today that has been abstracted to the point where already since however long we've been talking, we can spin up massive amount of computing power with a few clicks. The data warehouse ecosystem is undergoing a similar shift. Whereas previously, aside from having to procure the hardware, getting the software and setting that up was very difficult. Again, in the span of a few seconds and mouse clicks, you can now provision with zero upfront cost an enterprise quality data warehouse. That is an incredibly powerful shift in allowing business teams and organizations for that matter to be able to take advantage of data. That shift now has essentially in the last, what what I'm talking about, what are these data warehouses? We're really talking about things like Snowflake and BigQuery and Redshift to some extent. But really only as of the last nine months or so, 10 months, has the ecosystem evolved to a point where companies that are 
two people who are starting a business or an enterprise, uh, Fortune 500, can have the same type of hardware. And that shift is now enabling a multitude of different use cases for companies, one of mm-hmm. which is where we focus on, obviously, is product analytics. So, and you throw out some names that sounds like data warehouse, cloud services there, Snowflake, uh, Redshift, uh, Curie, is that right? Absolutely. A big okay. query. And then there's also sort of flavors of data lakes, which are less structured repositories of data. I colloquially refer to them all as cloud data warehouses. Interesting. Yeah, it's a space that I haven't had any association with you know, for a long time. Certainly don't know what's going on now in the world of cloud. So good. So it's easy to spin these things up to have a place for data. And it sounds like these resources are making it easier for companies to have that single repository of data on customers as well. Okay, so now let's get into the, the, the real thing that matters to us, kind of the data analytic aspect of this for product managers. How can we do a better job creating products for customers using data we have or maybe data we can get? And maybe you have some case studies or, or examples, you know, areas that you can talk us through about uh, how you've seen this work out. I can talk you through an example of one of our, one of our bigger customers. It's a company called Prezi. Prezi is a, they make virtual presentation software, video sure. tools. I, I bet lots of people um, know about Prezi, yeah. Of course, they have 100 million users worldwide, absolutely. Yep. They are, as, a, as an organization, obsessed with product. And if you think about their products, they are nonlinear, right? So if you think about PowerPoint or Microsoft Word, there isn't a linear flow to how you use those products as compared to, say, Amazon. At Amazon, you browse a bunch of products, you add them to a cart, you click checkout, and you pay. And basically, every time you go to Amazon, that is your experience with their product. But with a company like Prezi, where you can add an image, you can change a font, you can change the, the order of the, of the presentation there are effectively infinite number of journeys that a customer could traverse in terms of how they use their product. So many so that doing any sort of manual analysis in understanding the journeys or the conversion paths through that product are effectively impossible. Mm. And so Prezi had built a data warehouse to collect all of this data and store it in a central repository. And they were struggling with how then to make use of the data. So their product teams would leverage data analysts, data scientists, and some of their Product teams were sophisticated in the sense that you could use SQL, but ultimately it was incredibly difficult to make heads or tails of what was going on or effectively to find the signal within the noise of all that information. And so a few years ago, they, they, we onboarded them into our platform because we're the only product analytics company that can work against a data warehouse. And using our platform, which provides a suite of tools that are specifically focused on understanding product, they were able to isolate the individual journeys moving through creating a presentation, the, the, the act of setting up a presentation of those user flows to be able to understand where people were, fi- were, were, were being blocked because of either friction of a feature or what were the most effective paths through them, understanding what are the features that people use, what are the features they're not using, the features that people should be using, but they're not aware of them because they're not necessarily presented in a certain way. And it's all about the context in these cases, because product analytics is about context. So understanding, for example, how many presentations are being created is not a particularly useful product analytics analysis, but understanding the nuance of where people are coming from 
where they're going afterwards, and then what happens maybe five or six steps downstream, and then being able to segment that, break that out by who are these people, what are their roles, what is, what is the type of presentations that they're trying to solve for, allowed Prezi to much better understand their users and then subsequently inform their roadmap, inform the features that they're making, reduce friction in helping people create better presentations faster. Right. So there's a lot of elements in there that appeal to product managers, right? If identifying those friction points in our products so that we can make those products better, that creates more value. Understanding how customers are interacting with the product, you know, what they're trying to get done with the product, maybe even what they're doing later. There's other data analytics tools like, like Pindo that help us to instrument and, in a sense, instrument the software products to collect some data. When you brought Prezi on on board, are you doing that sort of thing to instrument the product to collect data? Or is there data already available that you can leverage? So that's a great question. In Prezi's case, and more often what we're seeing, is that companies already have their own data. So hmm. to take a step back for a second, the, the advent of these cheap data warehouses has essentially created the opportunity for enormous amounts of innovation surrounding all the functions in terms of putting data into data warehouse, transforming it, and then make use of it in terms of analytics. So to give you an extent of how that works, we do provide a snippet of JavaScript and SDKs to help customers collect their data. But where we're seeing the ecosystem moving is that there are companies like Snowplow, for example, or Rudderstack. Um, there's another one called Fresh Paint segment, which you may have heard of, whose only purpose is to help customers collect that data. They don't do anything with it. They don't, they don't do any analytics for you, but they are highly specialized in terms of helping collect data and put that into the data warehouse. Prezi, I'm not sure, to be honest, which they use. I, 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 I'm under the understanding, I think, that they have it, their own homegrown solution. But more often than not, companies are choosing the best in-class solutions to facilitate data collection, putting the data warehouse, and then subsequently choosing the best in-class tools to help them analyze that data. And, you know, again, like my company doesn't make it at a warehouse, but we play in this ecosystem. And that's what's so exciting about it right now is that in the legacy solutions around product analytics or any one of these individual areas, you were locked in because you had to take your data and put it into that SaaS pr provider's solution themselves. And then the only way you could make use of it is by the tools that they give you. In today's world, you own that data in its raw form in an ecosystem that you control. And the reason why that's great is because for things like security, right? With GDPR, CCPA, having ownership about your data is incredibly important rather than spreading it around in many places. Having a single source of truth, in other words, one effective master data set allows, promotes truth or, or trust rather in data. The worst thing that any analytics team wants to have are looking at the same metric, but seeing it come out five different ways. It promotes distrust in data where it leads to people ultimately saying, I don't believe that that, ac that metric is accurate and therefore, and, and therefore I won't, you know, I won't believe in any of the metrics that, that, that people have. And then the last part is cost. So when thinking about this, if you have to send your data out to all these other places, whether you know you're paying for it or not, you're paying to save it in multiple places. And at sure. scale, that cost is really, really expensive. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I know our topic isn't really on the data warehouse, but I, I feel so strongly and so passionately about how this is the future and the way companies will operate with data 
period. And, you know, obviously using that data for both product analytics-based use cases is the one that I'm excited about, but it's also relevant in terms of how you can build better products by using data, by incorporating that information back into your product. Think mm-hmm. about personalization. Think about embedded analytics. These are all now use cases that can only be supported by way of collecting, storing, and having control ultimately over that data in your business. Good. It sounds like several things are converging here, right? In this rapidly changing space that has more data science aspects applying to so much of work that organizations do and more in product work. And there's certainly, as you described, this a big data flavor here where we have massive amounts of data now available to us. And we need some way to go through that to be able to understand what are those friction points? Where can we add more value to customers? What is it they're trying to get done that they're not able to get done now? Yes. And so we have a set of growing tools that kind of do this in almost like an open source way that you you can take your data, use it in the way that you want to get done what you want to do with it. That's exactly right, Chad. And, you know, this ecosystem is evolving so quickly. My company recently published an infographic on the modern data infrastructure to help other companies understand who are the top players in each of these areas surrounding the data ecosystem. So for things like data validation, the data collection that you said, data management by things like DBT. We published this infographic a few weeks ago to help people really understand where either to get started or, or just as a roadmap of how to build their own infrastructure. Yeah, I, I do think product managers, product masters that are listening, if this isn't an area that you've had to deal with yet, you've certainly have had to deal with data and making data-driven decisions. This is going to become more and more of an aspect of the work that we do. We are seeing more data scientists as part of product teams. So an important area for us to be familiar with and start maybe moving towards knowledge of some of these tools. So Jeremy, appreciate you introducing us to that. As you talked about Prezi, you talked very much in a customer journey sort of sense. So, so I'd like to bring that into the conversation too. How do you see customer journeys playing in the work to make product management help us make better products? Well, it comes back to this notion of context, right? Like understanding how people are flowing. When we talk about customer journeys, we talk about them very specifically in terms of the threads, the paths that people are taking through effectively from start to finish and how they interact with your your business, your product. So it can contain everything from email touch points to, you know, your sign-up registration flow to what it is that calling the call center for the, for that matter. We just recently launched a product called interestingly enough, journeys that effectively maps these automatically for customers. So going back to that Prezi example, where there are literally an infinite number of combinations due to the number of different knobs and dials that you can tweak, we launched a visualization that automatically crunches all those journeys and allows you then to filter down to the ones that are either most effective in terms of a conversion perspective or the ones that have the highest volume and so on, or the ones that have the lowest volume, but at the most lowest volume, but the highest conversion perspective and allow you to very easily isolate these and view these in effectively a Sankey diagram. So Hmm. you can, you can limit them in terms of saying, start here and there. It's a very powerful tool that product teams haven't necessarily had access to other than by direct observation, watching their customers use their product, watching their or speaking to customers, understanding where they're going, or at a very high level, looking at sort of the the, the statistics around different stops along a conversion path. This allows you to tie together that entire experience. And again, 
a lot of what we do as product teams is reduce friction along getting a customer to the objective that they want to as quickly as possible. Do they want to buy a product? Do they want to send a tweet? Do they want to send a message and so on? How do we reduce friction, get out of the way effectively to allow them to do this as effectively and pleasantly and delightfully as possible? Okay. So when I think of customer journey maps, the way I've done them before is, you know, we, we emphasize what the customer's experience is, kind of, kind of what they're feeling, the actions they're taking, the emotions along the way. And we look at what's going on behind the scenes that they might be interacting with that they're not really aware of. And then what's kind of in front of them that they are aware that they're interacting with. You mentioned, I think it was called a Sankey diagram. I'm not familiar right. with that. What is that? This is an interesting exercise, right? Describing a data visualization uh, yeah, in, yeah, in audio-only format. If you can think of it as um, a series of nodes, a series of points that fan out sort of in a tree fashion. So if you think about a tree diagram, meaning there's mm-hmm. a, a start and then different branches that sort of spread out across time. A Sankey diagram essentially maps each one of those those branches, one of those intersections as a stop along a customer journey. So the beginning could be, say, when a user signs up. So there's lots of pass-through that you can see. Exactly. And so this diagram is an easy way to present in a linear fashion or sequential fashion the different steps along a journey. And so what ours does, again, is it it creates these automatically for you, and then they're interactive. So you can dive down into individual points on them and say, well, who are the users at this journey? Or let's create a segment for, you know, for targeting it, you know, in some other in some other tool or or downstream to allow you to narrow and investigate the behavior around those individually. Perhaps reach out to them and say, hey, can you help us understand why you went down this path potentially? But that's that's the effect of a Sankey diagram, essentially understanding those flows. Okay, so a good way to help visualize and understand multiple journeys that a customer or different customers might be taking through a product experience. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay, very good. Great information, Jeremy, on all this so far. I'm going to take a quick time out for our sponsor, which is the RPM Experience. This is actually the training system that I've put together to help companies do a better job of creating products. Jeremy, in your background there, did you ever have any like official training in product management? Definitely not official. You know, I, I was sort of a uh, trial by fire. You know, my, my first right. job was an intern at a company that I, I was the first person hired effectively. And so, no, and, and for what it's worth, my background really is engineering. My, my, you know, I was computer science in college and so on. So I was always building products. And then really not until I started starting my own company did I start thinking about, well, now I have to sort of merge this notion of how do I build products with how do I build good products? Yeah, that's very similar to my experience. I, I was uh, engineering and ended up in a product role over time and didn't even know that that thing was called product management, right? And that kind of led me to helping others get accustomed to some product management frameworks. And we put together these little study groups to do that. And then what happened was uh, a couple of years later, I started getting calls from people that were in those groups saying, hey, can you come do something like that for our company? And so now I have this thing called the uh, Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. And in nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week virtually, we go through and explore a framework for product management and get everyone on the same page. And this I've done this with VPs down to product managers that are 
are brand new. And it's a great way to get people to build trust with each other and at the same time understand fundamentally how we go about developing products in seven different knowledge areas, right? So like the strategy, how that works, portfolio management, the actual process of doing work, tools, teams, culture, other areas. So if you're listening and you have a group that you want to get really higher performance out of, check out the RPM experience. You can go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM and you will find more details. Did that sound okay, Jeremy? Sounds great. Okay. So appreciate the time out for that. Okay. So we talked about the importance of the data warehouse, getting data in one place, use it across the organization, and especially for us making product decisions, how the customer journey fits into that and how that can help us understand the decisions we need to make. Are there some uh, other examples or, or of, of benefits that we can get out of this? I know when I looked at your website, you talked about, well, you can use this to make better roadmaps, right? You, you can do this to use this to help reduce Turn. How have you seen this helping companies? So I think there's sort of two ways that I think about it. One is once you start thinking about product management using data, it sort of changes the way your brain works because then you start looking for opportunities around data and how you can leverage it in your roadmap. And then it eventually leads people to effectively using the scientific method when it comes to testing what they're doing from a product perspective. The scientific method has been around for hundreds of years, but using it as a product methodology, you know, is certainly out there in the marketplace today, but it's really hard. And what I'm talking about is coming up with a thesis or a hypothesis about your product, putting that into play and using data to essentially prove that. And then what we have observed is that once companies get to a point where they're able to leverage data, the natural evolution is to begin testing these things and removing that you know, not not the inspiration from an instinct or gut perspective, but using data to actually prove those hypotheses and back that into things like ROI and justification, everything into resources and so on. And it sort of changes the mode that people think about think in terms of how they build products. I'm trying to place this in my mind with other tools that I might use for other reasons. And because this is all kind of new to me, thinking about you know data warehouse in this way, I need to somehow keep this in my mind, right? Let have some landscape there, so I can keep track of it for the future. And specifically, I'm thinking about other tools where we might use to analyze problems we run into, like there's conjoint analysis and other multivariate tools to help us figure out okay, what features should go into the next product? How much is a customer likely, to, you know, whether like the optimal price point kind of decision? Is there data available in data warehouses to help us pull out that sort of information too? Or are we really thinking about, you know, we still would use those tools to generate maybe some new data and then have that for a different reason in the future? I, I think it's both. There isn't some magic AI that runs tests for you and tells you the right answers automatically and, and, and just, you know, purely out of thin air pulls those needles out of a haystack and gives you the right answers. So to answer your question directly, is that data in a data warehouse? Absolutely. So the data that if you're running an A-B test or a multivariate test, that data goes into your data warehouse. And can you use that then to mine that for insights? Absolutely. So just in terms of like the context, A-B testing is exactly what I was talking about from a methodology perspective, from using data to inform those decisions. And mm -hmm. again, it's about reducing friction, right? It's about making these things as easy to use and analyze as possible. And then with data, people see truth. It makes it easier or it changes the way companies operate in terms of the product because they can use data to drive those decisions and to measure the results. So if I'm in the organization, maybe I'm the market research person and I'm doing some deeper analysis on our customers and collecting a variety of data. 
I'm just curious, who's the person then that is helping to get that into a data warehouse? What are you seeing inside organizations? Is that a data scientist person that is starting taking on that role or someone else? So I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question sort of from an evolutionary perspective. Yeah. When, when data warehouses were very technical and expensive, it was an engineering team or a data team specifically. As these tools have become easier to use, easier to integrate, easier to connect, the shift that I'm seeing is more towards the ownership of, the, of data and data warehouse shifting to product. And I love that. Mm. It makes so much sense, right? Because who uses this data? It's product. Why should another team have to own it or take care of it or manage it? And what's happened is the tools have become easier to use. The technical requirements to manage them have lessened. The integration time has lessened. And more often than not, data is being thought of as part of product, not part of technology. So it's really coming down to the common person in a sense that, you know, employees can have control over the data and how it is used. That's going to be some big shifts in things because I, I routinely talk to enterprises that struggle with data in different repositories and product managers having a difficult time getting data out of these different repositories and using it in some kind of a consistent manner. I'll give you a great example, which is mm -hmm. historically to manage data within a data warehouse, to transform it, to align data sets and so on, required people to write code by way of data pipelines and this sort of enrichment process. That, that was my experience a long time ago. <laughs> exactly. There's a company today which has, which has a tool called DBT, which is, which is very quickly becoming ubiquitous in the data ecosystem, which has removed the burden from data engineers to have to do that to allow data analysts to do that. In other words, they have built technology to allow people to transform data procedurally using SQL. And, you know, it doesn't sound like a big revelation, but all of a sudden you don't have to write data pipeline code to align and manage that data. You can write SQL. And because a lot of people know SQL, that all of a sudden became much easier. And right. that's sort of the natural evolution of where we see all of these tools going. I agree with you. It's still really hard. Let's be, let's be direct. Data is hard. The reason that, you know, my company exists, the reason why this stuff isn't, you know, we aren't realizing this vision of everyone can click their fingers and magically have data is because data is fundamentally hard. That's why I like to sort of think about this in terms of the evolution. Where were mm -hmm. we five years ago, 10 years ago, where we are today, and then where are we going into the future? And my perspective on this, and I can't predict the future better than anyone else can, but we're still so early in this, exactly for the reason you pointed out, Chad, which is the fact that companies still really struggle. It's still really hard. It still takes time. But when you look back from where we came from from 10 years ago, right. it's a different ballgame. It is yeah. so much easier now. Yeah. It sounds like there's a number of tools that are, are helping to come into this space to make it easier for us. So that will be interesting to see how that evolves. Okay. The new, new area, I think the bottom line here for product managers is data is taking a bigger role. We've seen that for several years, data science being part of the aspect. And now we, we need to start looking for the tools to really help us have some mastery over the use of data. So Jeremy, appreciate that. As listeners know, we like a good innovation quote around here. What do you have for us? And tell us what that means to you. So my quote is Henry Ford, or at least anecdotally attributed to Henry Ford, which is, if I'd asked the public what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. The reason I like this quote is because so often we get requests from customers who say, could you just build this feature or add this little thing? And really what they're trying to do is communicate to us what their needs are using the language of how our product exists today. 
In other words, they're saying, can you add this little you know, knob or dial? And what my job as a product leader is to step back, listen to what they're saying, and really understand what their objective is. What is the goal? What is the problem that they're trying to solve? The point being that when supposedly Henry Ford made that quote, that when horses were the main mode of transportation, people couldn't even imagine something so radical as a car. And so they spoke in the language that they know, a faster horse. It's our job as product leaders to listen to the feedback that our customers are getting, not necessarily literally, but understand what is the ultimate problem they're trying to solve. So I, I love that quote. Yes, yeah, so, so do I. I think it shows such a great story uh, that we need to focus on the problem that people want solved. The articulation of the problem and solution might not be quite on on track, but our ability as product managers and designers can dive in and understand that better and actually come up with a solution that is aligned to their needs. So very good. Jeremy, how can people find out more about the work that you're doing and the resources you have available? Sure. So our website is indicative.com. We have a blog. I host a podcast of my own as well called Deciding by Data. And then obviously we're on Twitter as well at Get Indicative. I will make sure all those show notes are in the, or sorry, all those links are in the show notes to make it easy for people to find. And if you want to go to that, you just go to productmasterynow.com slash 341 and you'll find the details there. Jeremy, thank you so much. Thanks, Chad. Great being here. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.